Hi there. Welcome to Mushroom Hour. Today on Mushroom Hour, we have the privilege of interviewing Mr. Tyson of Mike Tyson Mushrooms. Mike has a family history in mushroom growing, and he has four years of professional growing under his belt, including one year with the number one agaricus producer in the U.S. He has spent the last eight years of his life pursuing his own intensive studies and experiments in mycology. He is a self-taught researcher who has consulted professionally with mushroom farms and has become an important figure in the DIY mycology movement here in the U.S. In 2015, he created the Reddit Mushroom Growers Community and in 2017 started the Reddit MycoBazaar Community. His business, Mike Tyson Mushrooms, now focuses on developing his own prolific strains of gourmet and medicinal mushrooms for sale to other mycology enthusiasts, cultivators, and small farmers, most notably his lion's mane mushroom. I found him to be incredibly passionate about fungi, generous in the sharing of his knowledge, and he strikes me as someone who is firmly on his path. Mike, great to have you on the show. Hey man, great to be here. It's been uh, a long time coming, I think, uh, for my first podcast. Uh, I've been eating, breathing, sleeping, living, bleeding, dreaming mushrooms for eight years, and uh, it's it's cool to finally see the efforts of that uh, be rewarded in terms of my my message getting out, people finding out about me, what I'm doing, learning from me about how to grow mushrooms and then growing mushrooms uh, with that information that I've shared and the experience that I've given them through, you know, my own uh, experience uh, and saving, you know, time, effort and frustration with failed experiments. You know, I love getting people excited about mushrooms as I am, but I also love seeing people grow mushrooms and, and, and get excited about the mushrooms and, and really, um, you know, seeing the, the look on somebody's face when they're, when they're looking at a mushroom and they're, they're, they're curious about you know, what's really going on in there and what's happening and why is that going like that, that curiosity really is, is like a drug for me. Um, seeing people find <laughs> out about that. And then, you know, I like to, I like to be the dealer too. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll teach you about mushrooms, you know, right. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you some facts. Let's talk about mushrooms. So it's cool. That's something that I, can do 24 seven, 365 without getting tired of it is something that I'm also doing the, you know, to make a living and I'm blessed for that opportunity first and foremost. So thanks for having me. Of course, of course. And I agree that that feeling of kind of opening up the universe of mushrooms to people, that's a lot of what I do. You know, when I'm on social media, on Instagram, TikTok, whatever, I have a lot of people that find me that don't know anything about mushrooms. Mm -hmm. So when they see a video and you see that the, the the gears are turning when they're leaving a comment or they're sending me a message like, I didn't know anything about mushrooms. Where can I start? And you're able to point them in a direction or just let them take their own journey into that universe. It's so rewarding to think that you're introducing some, someone to something that's given you so much. And that's what I really love about your kind of whole ethos. And that was the reason I really wanted to get you on the show is you are super passionate about mushrooms. I mean, it's absolutely infectious. If anyone has seen any of your content, any of your posts on Reddit or any of your content on Instagram, you have the gift of Stoke. You're able to get people extremely excited about mushrooms and even the parts of mushroom farming and mushroom growing that aren't glamorous. You make it seem fun and exciting. And I think that people would get a lot from following you. And I think that your journey as an educator from someone who is super passionate to now someone who's kind of a leading figure uh, in, I mean... DIY and small scale mushroom growing, but probably kind of even a bigger sphere of influence than that, that journey just based on your own passion and really committing 
to this path of, of the mushroom is really inspiring. Um, and that's where I kind of want to start at the beginning a little bit, because I know that you had one of your parents that was actually in the commercial mushroom growing environment when you were young. That's correct. My dad was a mushroom grower uh, for Campbell's Mushrooms in Illinois back when I lived there. And he had grown mushrooms his whole life. My mom met him and, you know, I was kind of born into it, uh, so to speak. Uh, and throughout my childhood, I grew up in that mushroom growing environment where they were growing portobellas and button mushrooms. Uh, and, you know, as a kid, I didn't really enjoy that. And through the time spent with my dad constantly because he worked all the time because you don't not work when you're growing mushrooms. Uh, I was always in these doubles and I just hated it. And I grew to hate mushrooms. And for my whole adult life, I, I hated mushrooms until I got out of the army and had an opportunity to uh, see mushrooms a little bit differently. But uh, that's yeah. unthinkable. That's unthinkable that Mike Tyson at one point did not like mushrooms. Cause now you are like, now you're like a herald of the mushroom knowledge into the world. Um, and I do want to talk about a little bit what the early passion or the early spark was that set you on the path of fungi that kind of turned you from, oh, this is something my dad does for work. I don't think anyone loves what their parents does for work when you're a child. So it's something you associate with your dad's work. Like you said to me, it was kind of smelly and dark and dank, and it wasn't anything about it that was like super exciting for a kid. And then you kind of were able to find something, though, that really turned you around. So I came back from Iraq in 2009, and uh, I separated from the Army in 2011, and I was depressed, suicidal, consuming and experimenting with random drugs, and at some point I found myself, uh, you know, in a position to eat magic mushrooms in this big bag. I didn't know how much it was. I didn't care. I just ate it, and through that experience, I... The spark was lit um, in that I came back uh, as a young person. I was very angry and mad at the world. And I didn't, never really knew why, but I was just pissed off. Oh, I was just angry. I'm sorry. Um, uh, and I came back with a better understanding of what it meant to, 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 to enjoy life and to be able to feel and give love. Um, I know it sounds like hippie and cliche, but I, I was touched in a, in a way that I've never been before. And it was a, a positive touch. And so in my distrusting nature uh, towards people, you know, when I decide that I actually do care about something, I try to go out of the way to find the best, purest, most uh, safest source of something. And what's safer source of something than doing it yourself, right? So I started researching how to grow magic mushrooms. And uh, it was about three to six months of reading forums and um, just researching night and day. Like that was all I could think about. I, I still remember that same fever that I had for learning about this fascinating new world of magic mushrooms. And, you know, it was lots of time spent on the shroomery and other internet communities. And uh, one day I committed to the growing process and that was all happy and lucky, but I found myself paging through uh, Paul Stamets magazine for his post-defense products. and there was a medical chart in there that, that listed the benefits of the various medicinal mushrooms. And this is a concept I'd never heard of up until the time that I opened up the magazine and saw it. I was like, oh, medicinal mushrooms? I didn't know about that. Right. So I opened this up and I see immediately that Ganoderma lucidum, uh, reishi mushroom, has every box checked except sexual potentiator. And I was like, well, that's fine. I don't need that. But uh, 
all the boxes included things like anti-cancer, anti-yeast, um, antibacterial, anti-fungal, you know, the list goes on. And, and as I was looking through the chart, another one caught my attention. And only one mushroom was, was checked under the nerve tonic box, and that was lion's mane mushroom. So began my expedition to be the Lion King. Uh, it wasn't my original goal back then, um, and little did I know that that was going to transform into this now, but I hopped on Wikipedia, I researched those two mushrooms, and I was like, wow, you know, they call this one the mushroom of immortality, the Ganoderma, the... the right, the right. That sounds pretty cool. You should probably check that out. And then I was like, oh, well, this one says that it helps uh, with the lion's mane. It helps with traumatic brain injuries and Alzheimer's and dementia. I have a lot of problems with my brain thanks to the PTSD and all that. So yeah. I was like, let's try that. So I hopped on Amazon. I bought some extracts, tried them. Whoa, damn, it worked. And I felt like I was on fire. Uh, you've seen the movie Limitless where the guy takes a pill and he uses all of his brain and he turns into like a superhero. It's probably lion's mane pills. It's probably lion's mane, but future <laughs> lion's mane when I'm done with it. Yeah. Right? So uh, that's what really inspired me. I could feel something from something that I that was grown naturally. I could feel a physiological change in my body. I felt uh, heightened uh, reflexes. I could remember things that I never otherwise would remember. I know where I put my keys. You know, I know where I put that thing that I lost. And and all of a sudden, the the foggy, uh, empty brain became this wonderful, colorful thing that started working in harmony again with itself. Uh, after I start taking these extracts, I mean, what, what? Like, oh. Yeah, I was like, what? Like the hippies were right. Like, I what? What you're describing, that. though, what you're describing is such a visceral experience, and I think it takes something like that to change. You know, maybe some childhood memories into. You needed to have that experience for yourself, and it's interesting because I think a lot of people start in the realm of magic mushrooms. You know, that's where they have that first visceral potent experience like you said where you feel love or you see god for the first time something so powerful that it just sparks this deep deep interest in whatever caused that effect and yeah. so to then have follow that thread and find other mushrooms like oh wait oh, someone described it all mushrooms are magical and then you start realizing that you know there are these medicinal mushrooms that are going to have these benefits and i think that's you know such a um an interesting vector or a powerful vector to, to take into the interest of mushrooms is I've actually taken these substances and they change me in a way where I now need to pursue this. Like, I think that's such a, a, a powerful way to enter this universe. Now, obviously you're taking mushrooms for, you know, various therapeutic benefits. When did you decide to start growing or start exploring growing your own mushrooms, maybe aside from psilocybe? When did you start decide to start like growing and really getting into DIY mycology? So it was sort of in tandem. As soon as I started my first shotgun fruiting chamber grow with the PF cakes, um, yep. my dad, you know, saw that I was interested in mushrooms. Obviously, I was asking him a lot of questions and uh, he brought me home uh, some substrates. He brought me home a shiitake block. He brought me home. Uh, reishi block and uh, I was able to fruit them in this makeshift plastic uh, greenhouse that I put together. It was just a plastic shelf. I drilled holes in it so the air could move around. I put a uh, plastic around it like, you know, four mil plastic sheeting with tape and I put like hard drive magnets on it because I was high speed at the time and I thought I was cool, you know, the hard drive magnets stick. And so I made this really like Frankenstein looking greenhouse, fruited some mushrooms and once it was as easy as just spray this this environment with a bottle and fan it with a newspaper and it works. I was like, this is, this is a lot easier than the magic mushrooms. Um, let's kind of entertain this from scratch instead of, you know, getting the, the, the pre-colonized substrate, let's do it ourselves. And so 
then became uh, then began uh, my interest in growing my culture collection. So I turned into Ash Ketchum of of the mushroom world and um, mushroom began, Pokemon. I've heard I've heard people relate it to that before. Yeah, that's what it feels like. I was uh, on every forum I could, asking everybody to trade with me, and more, more than that, more people than not were very happy to trade. Oftentimes, entire culture banks. So they'd be like, "Hey, I've got you know 15 or 20 cultures. You've got 15 or 20 cultures. Let's just swap everything." So it quickly grew out of control. But through that, I'm I've always been somebody to try and make money. You know, I, I want to make money off of what I like doing. So I was like, "Well, I can sell these to people." So I started a small little business. Uh, with uh, my still air box and and selling cultures to people and that was sort of the first uh, entrepreneurship uh title with 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 mushrooms was my um uh get cultured today is what it was called and uh you know i sold cultures for a year or two um after having started the the reddit mushroom growers and the short story behind that is i just found that there was no place that was constructive and not narrow-minded in terms of how you could approach new ideas with mushrooms mm -hmm was, uh, you know, if you speak outside of conventional thought, you're kind of shunned until the masses accept that as conventional thought. So it was kind of like a, an interesting place for me to be online with the mushroom community. You know, the, the conventional ideas that you take magic mushrooms, they help you uh, relieve yourself of some egotistical behavior and you're kind of a little bit more woke, you know? But yeah. in reality, people were kind of arrogant and egotistical in those communities. And I'm not narrowing out one specific community. They all have great people. But right. in general, new ideas weren't accepted. And I was like, well, we need a place to talk about mushrooms in a different way that will allow the guy who's scared to ask questions because he doesn't want to be berated to, to allow questions and, and, and to engage in discussions with people who do uh, know something and are willing to accept or entertain new ideas simply for the sake of discussion, if nothing else. Uh, but that's the, the environment that I tried to cultivate with the Reddit mushroom growing community. And it really did. Um, take off. We're at, um, I think we're at 50,000 people now, which is pretty cool. Um, wow, that's a huge community. And what yeah. you're talking about is dealing with what I, I like to call the dilemma of the neophyte, which is basically someone who's new to any given study or you know sector of information, in this case, kingdom fungi, someone who's just getting into it. You know, where can they go to really get answers to those basic questions? And where can they go to find mentorship that isn't going to look down on them because they are new to it. I mean, at some point, everyone starts new. They are a neophyte to this information. Yeah. So, you know, how can you create a safe space where they can learn and grow and aren't going to be condescended to like by someone who has more experience, you know, because that's, that's such a narrow minded view and doesn't really grow the community. And uh, like I was saying at the beginning, you know, it is so rewarding to kind of turn people on to kingdom fungi. So, you know, there's, I think people need to create more of those environments where people are allowed to ask questions. They're allowed to be beginners. And I think people who are more experienced, who are helping them are going to see huge rewards, not only in the feeling of, you know, how good it feels to educate someone, but those people that you start on their journey, you don't know where they're going to end up. They might develop some amazing system or some amazing new tech that you're going to use in the future. So I think it's really important. And I think it's really cool that you kind of address that dilemma of the neophyte, which is like address creating a space where people can come and learn and really become more experienced in kind of a, a safer environment. Yeah. And learning from the people that have, have been doing it is the fastest way to shortcut yourself to success. And, and Absolutely. It's supposed to be done. And now it's just, you know, 
as you are aware, people will, you know, latch on to those new people and, and sit there and be like, oh, you shouldn't think this. And you shouldn't think that. Like, I don't know. What what, what right do you have to be talking down on a new guy as, as a veteran, somebody who knows, you know, what they're doing? Yeah, creating a safe space for the new guy to be the new guy, scrape their knees, get like try their experiments, have honest feedback. And I know there are some people, you know, when you get more experienced at something, you kind of don't want the burden of helping that person who's new at it to to get better at it but like i said i i think there's so much to be gained from that and i think you're an example of someone who was really generous with your time helping new people getting on their feet and i'm sure that you learned a lot from it and now you've built your own network and community are there people on reddit mushroom growers that you now follow that are kind of doing their own thing kind of doing mycology and uh any kind of mushroom projects that you're kind of staying involved with or keeping tabs on so there's a lot of people actually that are doing really cool things. Um, I know Fresh Cat Mushrooms was involved in our community early on in their days, back when they were crowdfunding their barn and things like that. Nice. So um, between them, you know, uh, I've met people through the mushroom growing community who then moved on to be uh, part of mushrooms, you know, six or eight years later down the road in unexpected ways, like the guys at Smallhold. You know, I went to go visit them and then. I, I was like, oh, wait, you know, I knew you back when I went to go, you know, help this guy out six years ago in New York with this mushroom growing thing, you know, when you were still in college. And it's cool how small the mushroom growing world is. And because right. of that, uh, I think that it's important that we're all able to work together instead of trying to cut each other's throats. And I think that's one thing that does separate uh, my own operation from a lot of other businesses is I want to see everybody who does what I do succeed in the best that they can because I understand that if they're doing good, there's more customers for me, for them, for everybody. You know, the right. more people that are growing mushrooms, the the more people that are getting excited about mushrooms, the, the collective market grows and we all grow together. And that's where I'm at. I want to work with different uh, companies who do the same thing that I do that to help spread awareness in the market and to increase consumer confidence in what they're buying and uh, shift the market into higher places because uh, at Right now, there's a lot of uh, ignorance, and it's not willful ignorance, but people just don't know what questions to ask or why to ask them. Sure. Because the people that are making the money uh, on a large scale aren't encouraged at all to share that information or to encourage the customers to ask those questions. So it's up to the little guys to work together to spread that consumer awareness and shift the market towards a better understanding and ultimately better products for everybody. And philosophically, I kind of agree with that model, that sort of free market where you have you know, producers that are assisting each other to create this kind of decentralized network of high quality producers that are sharing knowledge, resources, information, and they aren't trying to be just this one massive organism that maybe covers the country or covers the globe. You know, not that if that happens organically, maybe that's not the worst thing, but I like the idea better of network of regional producers who are sharing information, are keeping their operations, you know, sustainable, maybe as environmentally friendly as possible when they don't get those huge economies of scale that have all those negative side effects. So maybe having this interlinked network of smaller producers keeps integrity of the medicinal mushrooms, you know, keeps integrity in terms of what the operation's doing ethically, but still provides a, a, enough supply for the people in every region. Um, you know, that that's something that in hearing you talk, I kind of see some of those gears turning in your head as well. And I've, it's something I've heard a lot of different people talk about from economic theorists, to other people into mycology. 
And I think that's more like maybe mimicking how, how a mushroom is or how fungal networks yeah, connect. That's what I was just going to say. On the micro and the macro, we scale it out. It looks the same as when we zoom in. And uh, if we can apply that same thought process to you know the way a business works and, and work uh, similarly to the successful natural systems in the world, why not? You know, And that seems to do that distributed network produces a higher quality product at the end of the day at, the, at a better price. And you're supporting a small operation instead of feeding a money hungry company. Like I, for my company, I have uh, set limits. I don't want to make millions of dollars. I don't, I'm not going to lie to you. I, that's not, I don't, that's not what I want. I have a set limit financially that I want to be at. And that's the most I want to make outside of that. I don't want any of that money, you know? And right. I think a lot of people and companies uh, struggle to, to see that skirt, you know, we're pulling the brakes here when it gets to that point because they just want more and more and more and more, but that's unsustainable in the long right. term. That's unsustainable if everybody's doing that. So if we can instead prop up and, and, and uh, support independent smaller operations, it's a win, win, win for everybody involved. It just sucks getting started as a small operation. That's the yeah. thing. Well, and that's, and that's why that kind of cooperative free market environment is has so much more potential for doing good than the ultra competitive free market environment. Obviously, there's always a little bit of competition, but just that idea that it's more about cooperating with other producers to kind of get that rising tide going where all ships are getting raised, not one person trying to dominate others. And that I bring all that up because I think that's so much in your philosophy, just from the things I see you write, the things I see you do. You know, you're really supporting a lot of other you know, small producers, regional producers. And I think that kind of system, that kind of cooperative network is really a, a tool to kind of change the modern world that we live in. If more free market or capitalism, whatever you want to call it, if more of our interactions economically occur that way through that model, I think that's going to lead to positive change. Um, so we talked about Reddit mushroom growers that went all the way macro on economic systems. Um, so I guess for you, these online resources or online communities seem to be where you flourished. And I think that's, you know, obviously I, I'm online. That's where I built my community as well. And I think the online aspect um, has given so much to people in the microfile community. And on your end, were there any in-person communities you connected with? Or was it mostly like the internet became your gateway to really establishing kind of your, your greater network of mushroom lovers? That's where I'm at. I don't have much time to leave the house as a mushroom grower. Uh, so right. I, I take advantage of uh, my upbringing, having a background in technology and using a computer my whole life. I was like, well, this is where I can meet the most amount of people. Um, the fastest and connect and, and grow my network the largest, you know, and, and it was after realizing that there was such a huge interest in mushrooms when you, you know, you first Google, how do I grow mushrooms? You like 30 different forums. And um, when I realized that, yes, there are these places, but no, you know, there's not one that's right for me. I created my own. And through that, uh, you know, it, it sort of nurtured into existence a, a generally happy awesome community and now we've met together on small scale with like the moderation teams and things like that i've met users uh, in person i'm considering hiring somebody from the micro bizarre subreddit as soon as i get things uh straightened out on my end of the business to do that um but yeah uh i've mainly just relied on my own systems that I've put in place in my own communities. Now tapping into Instagram, 
uh, last year was the best thing I could have ever done. It's really skyrocketed me um, in front of and, and into uh, the network of many more people that are directly involved in doing the same things that I'm doing. And that's really cool because a lot of doors are opening for me now as uh, you know, I've become established as a, a mushroom grower and a home growing uh, sort of expert. Uh, they, the, the potential for the future is really cool and I'm really excited to see what's happening in the future. Absolutely. And I always ask people kind of if they did get something out of in-person community, if they had digital. But I think what I'm seeing more and more is it's really a blend of both. You know, wherever you get your foot in the door. For me, I started with in-person communities that really kind of took me by the hand and guided me through how to grow mushrooms and how to forage. And, and then once I got confident enough in dealing with in-person communities and building my own knowledge base, then I went online and was able to find this much bigger community to kind of open my doors outside of my local area. But I think in your case, you saw kind of the huge universe expand in front of you and kind of started there. And it's interesting to hear now where you're able to then bring it down to like the local level, like, hey, I'm going to meet you in person. And so I think a blending of using the internet for what it's good for, which is a tool for communication mm -hmm. and organizing and connecting, and then also having, seeing the value in, you know, meeting in person and bringing some of these relationships kind of into the physical or, or connecting with groups in person really gives you a lot as well. It gives you kind of a, a deeper connection. You can flesh out more trains of thought and really start to develop, you know, your, your, knowledge base even more that way. So um, I just think that path is really interesting. And obviously it's worked for you so well that you started Mycobazaar in 2017. Now, Mycobazaar is a little different for mushroom growers. So I didn't want mushroom growers from day one. I, I knew I was going to sell stuff, but I didn't want mushroom growers to turn into this sort of spam house, you know, right, wherever right. they're selling trinkets and goods and stuff. Like I didn't want that. I wanted it to be an information source. So initially, we had scheduled posts where people could sell stuff on, and that was kind of how I uh, limited that uh, content to specific times and, and, and did it as best I could. But eventually I was like, you know, we need a dedicated resource for mushroom supplies, not just spores, because there were a million subreddits for spores, but um, we needed one that was a general catch-all for anything mushrooms. You know, if you're selling a mushroom farm or mushroom bags or dried mushrooms or mushroom trinkets or mushroom paintings, anything mushrooms, um, that was the sort of goal for that community. And now we've grown that to about 5,000 people now. Uh, and we're getting, when we get to 10,000 people, I intend to turn that into sort of like a, an external service, its own website uh, for anybody who does anything mushroom related to list their mushroom products, whatever it is, shirts, uh, you know, stickers, whatever. If it's mushroom related at all, it'll be a place for those people to target that audience and get their products in front of people who are interested in that stuff. Um, kind of like Etsy, but for mushrooms. Um, right, so that's what it sounds like. It sounds like a mushroom that's a Etsy. Goal for that, and we already have. I have a healthy mailing list, and uh, if you're listening and you've signed up, you haven't heard anything, so I don't have anything to say. But um, I have a healthy mailing list growing, uh, which is really cool because that means that there's a lot of interest from both vendors and from from users that that right. just want information about it. So it's going to turn into a full fledged uh, thing of its own, maybe within the next year, or maybe six months. But once we hit 10,000 subscribers in there. I'm going to put together a team of people to work on that because I just can't do too much myself anymore. So I'm trying to. I was going to say, things. unless we get it, unless we get a Mike Tyson clone in there to help you out, <laughs> you're going to you're going to need to build the team to to do all these yeah. different projects. So I've, I've got that in the in the pipeline for Mike Bazaar, and that's sort of the role that I wanted to fill there too. Is that there is no space, you 
know, everybody kind of does their stuff on Etsy, and Etsy is not exactly full of mushroom growers or interested people who are really just interested in mushrooms. They've got everybody. So I think by having a centric marketplace, it'll uh, be a win-win for the vendors and for the people that are interested in it. And I definitely think there's enough interest in it. I mean, mushroom culture in general is kind of exploding in the U.S. People interested in, you know, not just mushroom medicinals and mushroom gourmet mushrooms as food. But, you know, I have friends who are into fashion who like want mushroom prints on their clothes. And yeah, so like there actually is this huge demand for fungi related everything. And I think that's a great idea. And I love it. Because I can point people there when they ask me, where's a place where I can just buy cool mushroom stuff? And I'm like, well, why don't you go over to Mike Bazaar and see what's there? Um, so I think it's great to create, a, to create a community like that. Now, I know we've talked about online communities. We've talked about DIY mycology. You know, we've got a little bit into growing your own mushrooms. I guess the one question I get from people is, what is your advice for me as I get started? You know, I've had a couple of really long, heartfelt messages via Instagram of people saying, hey, I've gotten really interested in the mushrooms. I want to start my own mushroom farm or my own mushroom company. I don't know what that looks like. Can you recommend me, you know, a book or a tool or a resource I can get started with? So I guess for you, if you had a recommendation for someone who's just kind of getting into this world, but knows that they want to dive in deep, what what would be the thing you think they need to take with you if there's just one thing or a couple things? I think the biggest takeaway is focus first and foremost. You know, find which which mushroom really really excites you. You know, it's easy to get carried away, like I said earlier, where I was ash ketchup trying to catch them all. But after having the experience, I really wish I would have learned how to focus sooner because it would have got me a lot further faster as as far as being an expert on something. Now, if you just want to grow everything, that's fine. Just dig right in, start growing, because you're probably going to figure things out better that way. But if I, you know, if I was telling somebody from, from right now, you know, you want to start learning mushrooms, figure out what mushroom you want to grow. You know, there, there are right. a lot of different ways to grow different mushrooms. Some species are just, you know, they'll grow regardless of what you do to them. They'll take any level of abuse and they're happy about it. But some mushrooms are really big. <laughs> um, now, outside of that, uh, the standard books are the, the Paul Stamets books, Growing Gourmet and Medicinal Mushrooms. Um, that book has pretty much everything you need in it. Uh, the book that I would recommend but isn't in print in mass is a book uh, uh, by a, a guy named Peter Oi, O-E-I. Um, and it's just uh, growing gourmet medicinal mushrooms. But his book is it's like $240. It's a little bit out of price for people. But wow. for the person that's more interested in starting a small farm from the business side, and when I say a small farm, I'm talking like 500 pounds a month or or something like that. I'm not talking like I just want to grow a couple bags in my in my basement. But for right. a business person that actually does want to start a small farm, that's the best resource that I've ever come across for um, for a mushroom grower. Now, most people are turned off by the price. I was lucky enough to have just been given it in a box of old mushroom books that a guy was like, hey, you're excited about mushrooms, take these. I was like, cool, got these books. And I was like, oh, wow, this one's, this one's good. And yeah. then I looked it up and I was like, oh, yeah, no, it's really good. So I was happy to have gotten it. Uh, but it's not in print, uh, which sucks. There are PDFs if people are willing to look past um, that. You can Google it. Well, that's great. And I think that advice about focus, I think it can apply to everything in the mushroom universe. Obviously, yeah. we're not telling people to just shoot yourself into one. But the idea being 
let yourself follow your interest or a particular passion. Or if you start diving in and trying to grow everything, maybe there's one stage of the growing process that really appeals to you. Like I know some people love to go out in the wild and culture wild mushrooms onto Petri and kind of grow their culture library. And don't be afraid to like you started out with just focus on cultures and don't feel like, oh, now I got to go, you know, get my substrate. I have to inoculate my substrate. Now I have to go it. I have to build my fruiting chamber. I mean, as, as you've told me, a lot of commercial mushroom farms don't do that whole process. They kind of specialize in what they specialize in. So don't be afraid to kind of follow what really sparks the most interest as you pursue fungi. For me, it was foraging. And, you know, I tried to do DIY mycology and I was trying to do it in the kitchen of our tiny cottage right now. And I bought this giant glow hood and it really wasn't going to fit. So eventually I just thought, well, I like foraging the most. So why don't I just pursue foraging really intensively and see where that gets me? Um, so, yeah, I mean, dive into it all, but don't be afraid to follow the thread that really seems to pique your interest. And like for me, that was the lion's mane. And, and now once I realized that I wanted to actually or that I needed to focus on something instead of doing everything, right. I'm so much happier and I have a lot more opportunity. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's good to be known as the expert in something. And it's, it's a lot easier to be an expert in something than to try and master everything because you'll never get anywhere. And I was trying and I'm not a master in anything, but um, it was crazy trying to just be that role for everything. And then right. instead, you know, going with my heart or my interest line with the lion's mane, you know, it's it's been such a, a much more relaxed ride. And that's now transitioned into Mike Tyson mushrooms. I mean, um, I guess we could talk a little bit about how you got started at Mike Tyson. Kind of, you know, I, I know lion's mane is really your claim to fame. That's what I know you for. Your lion's mane are absolutely beautiful. But I guess how how did that get started? And yeah, we can just talk through where you are now and the business and everything. So, uh, you know, when I was on Reddit selling cultures, eventually I needed something new. You know, everybody started doing cultures and, and that wasn't necessarily a, as good of a moneymaker. So uh, I was doing some small scale experiments with lion's mane and like Ziploc bags and buckets and stuff that like anybody on any other form would be like, whoa, man, that's wrong. And I was, I was having a lot of good success and when I realized that I kind of had a knack for something that a lot of people weren't able to do themselves. Uh, for example, lion's mane is really slow and uh, light growing in most cases. And mm -hmm. so people tend to have issues with it, with getting it to full colonization. That's why my kits uh, for the lion's mane are desirable. So because of that uh, sort of uh, difficulty and not seeing anybody else who was really doing it, I thought, well, I can sell these. And I started selling small batches of these kits. And that transition from lion's mane into other things like oysters and king oysters and uh, maitake. And I started doing everything because that's what I'm really good at. Dive right in and do everything. Right. But um, that quickly got to be and unmanageable once I had success with it uh, after joining Instagram. And so that's where the pressure to focus really came in um, on top of my breeding efforts um, where I found myself not having a good feeling about the products I was selling because I had, I was selling cultures for mushrooms that I did not breed myself. And, you know, it's just taking somebody else's product, put my name on it. And here you go. 
And that's right. fine. That's what most people do. And that's what is priced into the cost of the culture when you're buying something from like Aloha. You know, that's why they sell it for $300 because there's a lot more that goes into it than just, oh, we're just selling the culture. Here's your slice. You know, it's, it's they're protecting their brand and their investment. So um, that consideration uh, sort of pushed me into to, to really focusing on things that I'm doing. And so now I'm doing my breeding program and eventually I'll start selling my lion's main cultures. Uh, but people still want cultures, so it's crazy. I've got a, an agreement with a buddy that does cultures now who, um, he's been doing cultures for as long as I have. And I was like, look, man, I don't have the time or the the heart for the cultures, you know, would you do these for me? So coming soon, my cultures will be back, but through my friend's operation. So that'll be an interesting way and I, I'm, I'm happy to be able to help him which is really cool because you know he's been doing it his whole life uh, sustaining his family and now I'm in a position to help uh, push him a step further um, and and you know it helps me it helps him and so I think it'll be a really cool agreement and I'm just I'm so flabbergasted that I'm able to like help people in that way you know it's really cool well and that's a great mindset to have and and that just gets back to what we were talking about earlier where you're kind of trying to help everyone raise what they're doing. You're trying to elevate everybody. And I think that's, you know, yeah. such a big part of who you are now. So I want to backtrack a little bit to when you mentioned breeding. And I think breeding mushrooms is something a lot of people don't know about. It was something I didn't know about for a long time. You know, I learned that when I was having Petri dishes uh, of mycelium and expanding them out or giving, you know, expanding them out to trade with people, the mycelium I'm expanding out of Petri onto another Petri is identical. Uh, as far as I understand, it's genetically identical. You're expanding the same organism. But what you're talking about is mixing actual spores. And everyone knows what spores are falling out of the mushroom. But you're capturing those and then mixing the spores themselves to enter in that, that element of variability and creating something entirely new. So, yeah, what you're, what you're essentially doing is you're taking a single spore and germinating it, getting that mycelium to grow. And that single spore mycelium, you take and you mate it with another single spore mycelium. You let them grow together, see what happens. And if everything works out right, um, you've made it mushrooms. And it's, it's a very high level overview of it. There's a lot of technical science that goes into it. And there's a lot of things that you can do to increase the variability of the results of these experiments. And it's how we get things like sporeless mushrooms or interspecies hybrids where you know you have a king oyster and a pearl oyster they have a baby and now we have a black pearl oyster that looks super cool that's like oh yeah i've seen that one that's uh, beautiful yeah, so yeah that's I've like seen the, that. the, the designer mushroom of the of the year so far but that's what i'm calling them the designer mushrooms because that's the, the the more appropriate way to put it you know they're just kind of people tinkering around and seeing what uh, what happens and now it takes a lot of work to get there right you don't just do it once and then it works and you get results you have to do these things hundreds of thousands of times um to, to see any results and it's cool because you can this is something that's within the realm of, of uh, capability for the home grower you know it's not something yeah. that requires millions of dollars of equipment it helps if you have that stuff but there are ways that the home grower can experiment with uh, things like UV light and how it irradiates the spores and causes mutations. And um, that's how we've gotten uh, sporeless strains of the chestnut mushroom, uh, for example. They just uh, did that, they got their single spore isolates, they blasted them all with radiation beforehand. And then um, through that testing, they found one that didn't produce spores. And uh, most people who are interested in mushrooms or even more often than not, people who grow mushrooms are unaware of the 
the potential health ramifications from being exposed to fungal spores uh, for long term. So, as you know, oyster mushrooms produce trillions of spores, just like right. one mushroom. Um, those in a concentrated environment, i.e., your basement, your closet, your house, whatever, um, in conjunction with your respiratory system, bad news bears for everybody. And yeah. uh, it, 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 a condition called mushroom lung in the commercial industry, it's not a huge issue in most cases uh, with growing actual mushrooms outside of oysters. Things like lion's mane, they don't—they're not as happy to produce spores, um, but. For commercial growers, especially uh, button mushroom growers, agaricus, portobello growers, they yeah. rely on compost. And the composting process generates a lot of uh, uh, other fungi. One in particular is called actinomyces. It's other, otherwise known as fire fang. It's like this white stuff that grows through the compost. That produces a lot of spores. So they're turning the compost. They're dumping you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds of compost into trucks. That creates a lot of spores. And people who are sensitive or... Uh, exposed to it for long enough to become sensitive can be hospitalized or even die from from mushroom lung. And it's a concern uh, from an allergy standpoint in terms of exposure for the home grower. Uh, so for the commercial grower, big health concern. For the home grower, allergen concern, potential long-term health hazard. And most people aren't aware of that. And that's the thing that um, is, is sort of missing from the industry. You know, a lot of people are happy to sell somebody, uh, you know, oyster kits or 10 oyster kits, but they're not. there's never a disclaimer that says, don't grow this in your house without ventilation or, you know, use a respirator right. when you're doing things. I, I've um, never heard of that. I mean, I've never heard of that potential spore load on your respiratory system. And I'm very used to give, telling people like, yeah, you know, no mushroom's going to kill you by just touching it or even inhaling the spores. Uh, asterisk, if there isn't proper ventilation, you have enough spores. Yeah, that can actually be a health concern. So it sounds like then a sporeless variety would be hugely important, you know, not only to home growers for that consideration but on the commercial level. I mean, that would be huge in just ensuring worker safety. Now, in reaching a sporeless variant, that process you described, UV radiation and everything, is there any concern with that leaving any gnarly effects on the result in mushroom? You know, I'm I'm personally very against GMOs. Yeah. You know, I, I know people that are even against, you know, certain forms of hybridization, but is this doing anything that that has any negative effects as far as you know? That's part of the uh, the issue with the commercial industry paving the way for those things. There's no incentive um, for them to necessarily test them. Sure. Anytime I've inquired to things like that, I'm told it's uh, GRAS, G-R-A-S, generally regarded as safe. You know, So we don't know for sure. And by looking at the mushrooms, we can sort of learn a little bit about them. But until we grow these things out and have them actually looked at under that lens, Right. Nobody knows. Uh, so I would say in general, no, but I have had some really fun thought experiments on that idea. Like, what's the end result if this thing gets out in the wild and starts growing and spreading? Right. And, you know, maybe influencing other mushrooms somehow. That's probably never going to happen. It's like a weird cat scientist thought. But it's still just, you know, a consideration um, with these. And um, to avoid and I, them or not, up to you. Right. Well, I guess from your end, but, uh, I will say that most. Sorry, I will say that most strains uh, have been domesticated. I mean, anything that you're growing commercially has been domesticated, much the same way that we domesticate a cow or a dog. It's been bred thousands and thousands of times based off its ideal characteristics, and you know, in most cases, um, that's the the process of breeding mushrooms, and then the the fun way of creating hybrid, unique, 
um, man-made strains of mushrooms is through that other approach of, of sort of applying these uh, these energies to the to the, to the spores or to 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 manipulate the spores into um, mutating. That's the end goal of that sort of uh, right. that that end of now, for your end, when you're breeding lion's mane, because that's obviously your mushroom, you are the lion king. So yes. when we're talking about breeding lion's mane, what are you trying to select for during your breeding processes? And which form are you using? Are you using what I am calling in my head kind of the more natural process of just putting the spores together? Are you putting them under ultraviolet light? So what are you selecting for and how are you doing it? So... I'm doing it much the same way that any commercial breeder would be doing it. it. I started from wild samples. I've got 30, 31 now. I just got a new sample yesterday. Um, but I've got these samples that are on Petri dishes. Mm -hmm. These uh, samples are going to be grown out on grains and then eventually grown out on substrate blocks, just like my lion's mane bits, and fruited. Um, while, while these are all growing out, uh, I'm taking notes on colonization times, uh, speed, the morphology of the mushroom, the mycelium on the on the petri dish. You know, is it thick and ropey? Is it is it light? Like the one that I got yesterday is insane. I've never seen a petri dish with a it's got fissure, a crack right in the center of it, and it that that crack happened before it was completely colonized, uh, according to the guy that I got it from. He's got four plates. Two of them did that. Never seen that before. So those types of unique uh, properties are also interesting to me, but. What's going to happen is these are going to be grown out and then I'm going to collect spores from each of those while making observations on, you know, does this have a big fruiting body? Does this have a different morphology than, you know, standard lion's mane? Maybe this one has thicker teeth or maybe this one has something that looks more like dreadlocks and kind of has like naughty looking teeth or something. You know, anything different or unique is desirable to somebody for some reason. Now, I'm mainly selecting for temperature um, and speed. So will it be cold and warm weather tolerant and is it fast i want them to be as fast as possible so those are my two main criteria with a third bonus criteria of is it sporeless without millions of dollars and a huge dedicated facility in 10 years of my life i probably won't find a sporeless strain right knowing that out of the the you know from jump street it, it doesn't discourage me but it's interesting to me to see what other things i can learn outside of that you know and furthermore the, the end, end, end goal of this research is to hopefully be able to produce strains which have the highest concentrations of the active compounds that we look for um, with things like their growth and, and the, the brain um, compounds that the lion's made much Well, and I know you're not a, a doctor, but to do a quick overview, I, I did a little reading before this interview, of course, I got to be prepped, sure. but I read about yeah. polysaccharides and polypeptides yeah. that kind of enhance the immune system right. and inhibit Therapy. cancer growth. Try okay. Try terpedes. I've also read about cyathin derivatives that can stimulate the nerve growth. So I'm going to include with this podcast different resources where people can research more. But for you, uh, is there any good reference point for people on the medicinal properties of lion's mane? Any book or any resource online? So uh, there's a lot of scientific literature to read, um, and okay. that's unfortunately inaccessible to most people. I still struggle to understand a lot of it, but through the years I've read enough of it to kind of make sense of, of some of it. And I have people that I can ask when I have questions otherwise. But what I did was I signed up for uh, Google Scholar Alerts. I don't know if you're familiar with Google Scholar, but it's a, a search feature of Google that will allow you to 
be up to date on um, articles that are being published on certain subjects that are interesting to you. Um, like I just found out through Google Scholar maybe three or four weeks ago that there was a new species of lion's mane or herisium discovered in Africa. Uh, I don't remember the exact wow. scientific name, but like that's huge. Didn't know that we're still finding new herisiums. That's really cool. I want to get my hands on it. If anybody can help me out, let me know. But um, that is how I find the most up-to-date information because it's I get a daily uh, report of articles that are that are being published from the scientists that are doing them, from the researchers that are doing them. And That's so a true. But if you're interested and you're really excited about it, I recommend you just start reading stuff. Even if you don't understand it, you can Google it and, and, and start to grow and understand it because the, the low level or the high level overviews don't do a good enough job of really uh, demonstrating to somebody who's skeptical what the mushrooms can actually do and how they might work. And that's where I think a lot of people get hung up is um, it, the information might be too obtuse to understand and there's not uh, you know, a way for them to really correlate this really complex, abstract scientific paper to right. their interest. So it, that sucks and it's not a really good answer, but there isn't uh, one resource that comes to mind. It's the, com the, the compile, the the cumulative effects of all of these research paper together that really um, pushes my understanding further. And, and I'll recommend people to uh, Fungal Pharmacy, which is a great reference book for basically any medicinal mushroom. Uh, forgetting the gentleman's name who wrote it right now, but it's absolutely a thick tome. It does have a good bit about heresium, about lion's mane in there. But yeah, I think what you're talking about is going on Google Scholar and really digging deeper into kind of that compendium of collective knowledge and scientific papers and probably some of the newest information as well that's coming out um, on, on Lion's Mane to really get the full spectrum of what the effects are. And I'm sure that we're still discovering things even now. I mean, if we're discovering new strains, I'm sure that we're still doing research and discovering new properties even now. We've reviewed kind of your business where it stands now. This is all really interesting as we're diving into lion's mane and breeding and your knowledge about mycology. It's pretty obvious we could do like five more podcasts. Um, but just in the interest of trying to keep this within a you know, framework of, of about an hour, I want to move now to like the future plans. And this is another huge area for you. But the future plans with Mike Tyson and then some of the other work you're doing because I was reading your website about you know, helping developing countries establish mushroom farms, um, maybe even writing a book. So what's next? So what's next, actually, the book comes first. Um, the book okay. it goes in tandem with my reading program to, uh, one, provide a finite, uh, tangible resource for somebody that's going to be interested in lion's mane. You know, there's no book that says, hey, this is how you grow lion's mane. You know, there's books that say this is how you grow gourmet mushrooms and you know, lion's mane is one of them, but there's not a comprehensive resource dedicated to lion's mane. So to add some icing on top of that, I'm also including information on how to create your own hybrid strains at home uh, as somebody who, you know, just wants to dig in and kind of get that mad scientist uh, vibe going on. So um, with that, um, I'm hoping to have built my brand to a large enough point that I can have enough cash flow to go help people like my friend Raymond in Kenya, um, I've known him for six or eight years now. Um, I met him online. Uh, I used to do a lot of web design, so I met him at like a web design seminar online. And he was trying to help his organic farm 
with their website. And he's been running his organic farm for six years now. And they have a lot of waste. And they also have an interest in growing mushrooms. And um, one of my long-term goals has always been to help people grow mushrooms in a way that works for their economy, to, to bolster their economy, to give them a livelihood, to give them a good source of, of, of natural protein, healthy protein, I should say. Um, and to give them, uh, you know, just the satisfaction of providing their own food for their community. And Raymond is, uh, it took me a while to actually like have the dots connect and go, oh, I should ask Raymond if, if he wants to grow mushrooms. And when I spoke to him, uh, we had a beautiful conversation uh, about his uh, dreams that he's always had to grow mushrooms. So it's like this awesome symbiosis to have this guy that I never really thought I would really talk to again outside of being on that web design thing to go, hey man, I know we talked six years ago or whatever, but I think you'd like to grow mushrooms sometime. And yeah, that's been my dream. So that was cool. And um, that's the, once I get that formula sort of worked out, I'd like to copy and paste it to other people in other situations in other countries um, to take something that they're throwing away or composting and not really thinking about it again and turning it into another value added product and, and doing that for free. And then, uh, my goal is to buy that product from them to give them that guaranteed revenue stream so they don't have to worry about, you know, where am I going to sell this and hopefully get them to the point where they're independent enough to not need to sell me mushrooms or my company or whatever's going on, but to, to be big enough to, to, to support themselves. And that would be like the hugest, happy, fuzzy feeling in my heart to, to be able to do that for somebody with something that I love. And that's what really my altruistic dreams are if I had all the money in the world and I could do that right now, like everybody would be growing mushrooms and, and they all be doing it for free. But you know, that's unrealistic and we need to have certain, you know, realistic ways to get that done. So my short term, long term, rough plan for that is to just give them loans, loan them, teach them, go there, teach them how to do it, loan them the money, give them the resources that they need to be successful, get them growing, then buy the product and, I don't see how that couldn't work um, for everybody's best interests in a, in, a, in a positive way. So that's one of the long-term goals for me that uh, is becoming closer and closer to a reality. It's really cool to actually see that inch closer to uh, not just being some uh, dream that I have, to being something that I can go touch and, and see and, and, and help with. So, um, you know, things like this, like this podcast are helping me get to that point. And uh, every step of the way I'm blessed with, um, help by you know from people like you or whether it's professional mycologists who I'm now friends with you know people who have doctorate degrees in this stuff like I, I'm friends with those people and it's cool because you know the, the world has kind of opened up for me to do that and I feel very lucky uh, and blessed to be able to recognize that and, and not take it for granted too so like thank you for um, your efforts that are helping to get me closer to that goal oh the pleasure the pleasure is all mine and I think what you just talked about there is super inspiring. I think mushrooms are one of those kind of engines of economic growth that really don't have some of those downsides that we may associate with other industries that try to get established, you know, in developing countries or, or other countries. And, you know, there are negative externalities from a lot of these things. But like you said, with mushrooms, you're growing it on things you'd otherwise throw away. The outputs are not poisonous chemicals. They're, you know, edible food or compostable used substrate. So it's a super promising engine of economic growth, especially as demand just continues to grow and grow and grow for gourmet and medicinal mushrooms. Um, and I think that, you know, a big part of 
what I do is to learn from people like you, to connect and promote people like you who are really doing not only uh, positive things in the world beyond just what you're providing economically in that exchange, but you really have a bigger goal. And so for me, seriously, the, the pleasure is all mine. Um, so obviously, that's a huge future you've got laid out for you. It's going to be really exciting to follow your journey. And I think one of my big takeaways from your story is just have that passion or that stoke. I mean, whatever it is, but in this case, if you're into mushrooms, there is so much to explore and so many opportunities and the resources you need will avail themselves to you if you kind of stay committed, do things, I like to believe, do things for the right reasons, have the right ethics behind it. You'll find all these resources coming to your aid to make things happen. And I think you're like a poster child of that into now where this passion, this hobby has turned into this day job that's going to turn into something much bigger. If I if I have any feeling, you know, this is going to turn into something huge for you. So I'm really excited, really excited to watch it develop. Now, uh, as we wrap up here, where can people find you? Where can people reach out to you, connect with you, get your grow kits? Where's the hub where everyone can contact you? Everything happens on MikeTyson.com. That's M-Y-C-T-Y-S-O-N.com. But I'm on YouTube. I'm on Reddit. I'm on Instagram. Uh, I'm very approachable. If you have any questions, any inclination about growing or cultivating mushrooms in any way, let me know. I'm more than happy to help. I don't identify mushrooms. That's a mycologist's job or you know, a taxonomist's right. job. I don't feel like that's something that I'm prepared to discuss. But Anything related to growing mushrooms, any interest, any idea, whether you think it's a good idea or a bad idea, I'd love to talk to you and, and help you uh, get just as excited about mushrooms as I am because, I don't know, it, when people look at a mushroom and they get excited, they think that there's something special that's really going on in their brain and, and they're getting connected to the world in a more personal way than, than otherwise, uh, you know, like you can't. You can't really get that same excitement from growing mushrooms, you know, from growing a plant or like putting a tree in your yard or anything. This this weird amorphous like alien thing is growing in your little fruiting chamber and, and you get to watch it mature practically overnight. Uh, it's really fascinating and exciting. And I think it inspires a lot of people to think about mushrooms in a different way. And there's a lot of evidence that suggests that, you know, mushrooms were the initial terraformers of our planet. And, and, you know, we should all be thanking fungi for uh, giving us the world uh, or making the world hospitable. So from terraforming the planet, I agree that fungi probably have some internal fascination with us on a subconscious level where we can't help but be amazed by them. And I think it makes us take them in on a cellular level and probably inspires us to do what you're doing, which is inoculate people's brains. And I'm convinced we're going to do some research someday that's going to find that fungi has like a cordyceps-like effect on humans too. And we just don't even realize it. And that's what's making us spread the knowledge between us. And uh, I think I think you're probably one of the most effective channels of that mushroom knowledge and getting people stoked. And that's why I've loved talking with you and having you on, man. So, hey, thank you for taking the time, Mike. I know you're really busy. It was a lot to schedule and get it, the technology, everything. And I'm just so happy we made it happen. So thank you so much for coming on. Hey, man, pleasure to be here. And uh, I appreciate you helping me uh, to, to colonize the planet, if you will. 